Welcome, welcome, welcome back to week 14 of Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron Jay, and I'm so excited to be back here with all of you this week. I feel like I'm always saying this, but yes, once again, it's been quite the week here at Classic City Crime. Not only have we had a lot of new interviews and more information come in for us to bring to you, but we're slowly getting to that much-anticipated, much-awaited point where I tell you what I believe, unfiltered, knowing what I know now, hundreds of interviews, hours, and long nights later. Thanks to everyone who has supported the podcast the last few weeks. I cannot express my gratitude enough. We are amping up our efforts here, along with former law enforcement officials, private investigators, and more to follow up on every single lead appropriately. In fact, I may or may not be able to confirm we'll be on the road soon. You can continue to support the podcast and these efforts by donating whenever you'd like at paypal.me slash classiccitycrime. Now with that out of the way, there's still a lot more to cover over the next few weeks. If you're a part of our online group on Facebook, CCC Insiders, you already know probably where this episode is heading. In fact, if you're not a member there, I encourage you to stop listening now, head on over, and join to see the video we posted there just a few nights ago. If you're caught up on this newly uncovered footage, well, you're ready to get started. But if you don't have Facebook, don't worry, I'll get you caught up. Not only do we have more information on this footage in this episode, but do you remember the aunt? The guy who confused all of you, the man who supposedly had Tara's laptop after her death, and some say might have been involved in her murder. Well, I have tracked down his brother, and he is here to set the record straight. And what do Lance Armstrong, Stormy Daniels, and Vladimir Putin have in common? Well, the answer, our expert Tracy Brown, body language expert who has told the world what these three are not saying. And she's here to examine this newly uncovered footage with us. This is week 14 of Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J. So about this footage, what did I find? It's a video from 2001 showing one of the four persons of interest appearing on news footage on the day the fire on Vaughn Drive was discovered. Was it the student? Well, no, he would have been in class by this time. Was it the boyfriend? Well, of course not. We know that he has an airtight alibi for the morning of the murder. Was it the attorney? No. But you'll remember he was nowhere to be found the morning the fire was discovered from what we can tell. So that leaves one person of interest featured in this video, yes, the maintenance man. And that's where Tracy Brown comes in. You see, just this week I actually got to sit down with the fraud-busting body language expert to guest star on her podcast, and you can find this video interview on our Facebook page. The story of how I met Tracy is really the story of how I've met most of our other experts, Dr. Parati, Jeffrey Reinick, just emailing them with a hope and a prayer that they'll respond, and luckily for us, Tracy did. But I've got to tell you, Tracy has quite the remarkable resume. You can read the full info on her website, bodylanguagetrainer.com. But I did want to read some of her biography from there for you here, just to give you an idea of who we are talking to. Tracy Brown has studied lie and deception detection alongside the police, the FBI, the Army Green Berets, and people who she believes could not tell her they were in the CIA. 
And yes, she's the only one who showed up to class without a gun. She uses this information in her keynotes for banking, credit unions, and finance groups to actually detect and prevent fraud. And this is currently what she's doing the most of. Now, this is what I found to be most interesting. Her career TV actually started when she was asked to interpret the body language of the Aurora Movie Theater shooter in 2012. And she's revealed the truth in many events since then, including murders, politics, and yes, cold cases like Tara's. She was so kind to review this footage from the crime scene showing the maintenance man, and last week I sat down with her for a phone chat to talk about not only what she saw in the video as an expert, but how you can be more cognizant of your own body language and the body language of others. I do want to apologize for that annoying popping noise that you're bound to hear during this phone interview. Gotta love technology and a pandemic keeping us all apart. So first of all, tell us a little bit about you. What do you do? What is your line of expertise? Tell us everything we need to know. Got it. Well, I am, I'm the fraud-busting body language expert. So my expertise is in deception detection through body language, tone, and word. It all comes together to uh, paint a picture about who's lying and who's telling the truth. I, I do a lot of keynote speaking, helping financial services groups learn how to spot fraud. It's, it's hidden in plain sight a lot of times. And like you, I have a podcast. It's called Fraud Busting. I have a lot of fun with, with that, interviewing all kinds of people who've been defrauded or some of the biggest crooks in the world have come on as, as well. So I'm, I'm just really thrilled still to be on your show. Well, thank you, Tracy. Well, as I told you in the email conversation we had, we have a crazy case here in Athens, Georgia. I mean, we have multiple persons of interest. We have multiple uh, failings on the parts of the police department. We have a family 20 years later with no answers, and I think that's the most important thing to remember. And recently this week, you know um, that we have discovered a short quip that police say makes them feel that one person of interest rises above the rest. And you have seen this video. And I have. I wanted to – it's very short, isn't it? It's super short, yes. <laughs> but Tracy, I wanted to – ask you one thing. This clip is about 16 seconds, and the part that shows this person of interest might be even shorter than that. Tell me how many seconds does it take for someone like you to get a good, quote, read on someone? Well, I can get a read on people pretty quickly. Um, and the, the caveat there is that I read what's going on in that moment. And it, it, it um, may or may not have to do with anything at any other moment. If it's a situation of gravity, which I think this one is, I, I, I like to get as much information as I can because then I can pick out incongruencies a lot, uh, a lot better over a longer period of time. And what we have here, just again for our listeners as well, is we have the – person of interest arriving on the scene of the crime. Um, he is an employee of the property at which the crime has occurred. Um, Tara Louise Baker, as everyone knows, was attacked in her home, strangled, beaten, set on fire, stabbed, horrible scene, and the fire specifically, we know, damaged a structure that, you know, this maintenance man probably was involved with on multiple occasions. So let's dissect this piece by piece, Tracy. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So the first thing that I noticed when I looked at it, as short as it is, is that we have arms crossed um, as he is moving about. What 
what do arm what does arm crossing usually signify to you, um, and how do you think it directly relates to the scene that we're talking about? Well, there's there's different arm crosses, and and there's different situations that would indicate different things. So when when you're analyzing body language, you always have to. There's no one move that absolutely means something, right? So so you, ultimately, you got to put together a list of what it could mean. And when I saw this clip, the first thing that stuck out to me is, wow, this guy is, he's hugging himself really tight. It's like a self-hug. And that generally indicates that he's trying to comfort himself in some way. So let's talk about what that could be. Well, um, let's see. He's, He's a maintenance guy. Like maintenance guys aren't used to hubbub. They generally like to do their work and not have anyone bother them and then keep going. At least the maintenance men that I know. And so here we have the police there, and then all of a sudden the TV shows up, and there's all this – there's a burned-down unit, right? Something that he's taken responsibility for at some point in his career. And, uh, And so what I see is a guy that's super uncomfortable in the situation that he's in. And I'm if I had to put money on it, I guess that's what that self-hug is about, at least partially. Does, you, we also see him acknowledge the cameras, which you just talked about. Does that signify anything, really, or is that just another, you know, movement in regards to acknowledging the situation? I think he's, I think he's acknowledging the situation, and I think also when you – see a TV camera show up, like you, you want to look at it. You're like, oh, my gosh, it's the news. Like, And who knows who was standing right next to that camera? So uh, I'm not seeing anything that would necessarily be out of what I would consider normal in that instance. What would help you be able to determine more about this person and maybe other persons of interest in this case? Seeing video from interviews, would that help? What what would it help? What would take it to the next level for you? Oh yeah, I would love some interview videos, not only with him, but other people of interest and also and I know in your podcast because I've listened to a couple episodes. Uh, some of the people that it, that are giving you information, like why are they coming forward now? Like what uh, are are they remembering things really, or are they kind of embellishing? Like these are the kinds of things that that we can pick out in interviews. Now, granted, the uh, humans we have a really bad memory, right? And and there's all kinds of false memories that can pop up and. Uh, sometimes we can we can pick those out, and sometimes we can't because it's been 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. So um, direct questions like, "Hey, did you do it? Right? Sure. Where were you that evening? Why don't you tell me uh, where you were and what was going on that evening, step by step? Can, oh, can you tell it to me backwards? Because mm-hmm. right? um, liars actually, lies aren't connected to time, and so get them to tell it backwards is very very difficult, and that's why body language goes haywire is because the mind is doing too many things out of its normal realm and of normal realm of thought, I should say. And in the body language will, will indicate that a, a great deal of stress in, in can be deceptive. You know, one thing that really intrigued me, um, and I will link, by the way, Tracy's YouTube videos and Facebook and podcasts on this uh, podcast description. But Tracy, one thing that really fascinated me when I was listening to you last night um, was, you talking about even how 
you know, when anxiety rises, capillaries rise, and the itch is actually true. It, it, you know, an itch on a face or an itch on the neck. Um, that these are true responses to anxiety in the body. Oh yeah, yeah, and and a lot of people who are lying get a lot more anxious, right? So, so there can be the Pinocchio effect. That's what we call it with the capillaries and, and itching your nose. That's that's a thing. Um, and generally, like like cleaning, like self cleaning, uh, something with your hair, like doing little scr- scratches on your face and nose, uh, th- that can be a sign of anxiety too. So you have to ask enough questions to make sure you're not just basing any analysis on one movement or a couple of itches or a nod or a shake of the head, right? So you actually, what we're looking for are clusters of behavior, like three to five little movements that can signify deception when they're clustered in a really uh, tight, tight, uh, let's call it speech pattern, like a sentence or two. That's when you got a pretty good chance someone's pants are on fire. And this stuff moves pretty fast, right? Oh, it does. And I actually watched your video that you sent. I watched it frame by frame just to see what, if anything, I could pick up. But my favorite thing to do, like when I work on investigations and with lawyers and uh, cases and things like that, is let's watch this thing frame by frame and see what we're really working with here because it takes a quick eye. And, you know, you have to be close enough to, to see it. Um, but there's also language patterns that can indicate deception, and, and you know you can hear those from a ways away. So so your 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 hands aren't completely tied if you have like what we had like an old video. You know it's not HD video, and it's kind of from far away. Like there's there's other ways to get to the truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to take a moment for you to help my listeners a little bit. Um, one thing that you talked about in your videos is helping people become more aware of our own body language and, you know, the language of others in everyday life. What, mm-hmm. what would you recommend to listeners about their own body language and what to look for when they're you know, interacting with others? Oh, well, you know, one of my favorite things that I teach is about matching and mirroring other people. Now, whenever you kind of do what other people do very gently, like playing a, a, a sophisticated game of adult copycat, let's say, um, if, if you do it right and you're not too overt about things, people will all of a sudden become very comfortable around you. And what you're doing is making them reach deep down inside and go, huh, he's just like me. I, I don't know why, but I, I like that guy. And and it's because you're gently, subtly just doing what they do. So what would some of those things be? Well, uh, maybe someone's rubbing their fingers in a certain way or they cross their legs a certain way or they have a certain speech pattern. There's a certain word they use. Maybe it's awesome, right? So so if you if you do what they do, use the words that they use, then you're going to fire certain neural nets within them to signify, hey, you know what, this guy is fantastic, love this guy. And you're going to get to agreement a lot more quickly. People are going to be more open with you. Uh, Now, that can also, you can also undo it, right? And if you want people to go away or in the conversation quickly, you can do the opposite of what they're doing, and that'll do it. Mm -hmm. So, So what you can 
begin to do is gently guide and direct uh, others' thought patterns, like towards a mutually beneficial agreement. Now, there are people who teach you how to do this so that you are manipulating people or social engineering, and that's getting people to do something they would never normally do. It's not good for them. And that, you know what? There's a special place in hell for people like that. It's called karma, and um, I, I don't, I don't suggest it. Um, and so the the unconscious mind is super powerful, and it picks up 99% more than what our thinking brains are able to comprehend. And so really what you're doing is playing in that zone and just making yourself really likable. And in what it does, it just takes a little bit of behavioral flexibility mm-hmm. to do that. And, you know, a little bit of practice. I didn't, I told you it was worth doing. I didn't tell you it was easy to do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> One thing that I've always wondered is, and I think maybe you just explained how to do it, is how do you balance meaningful conversation with meaningful observation of people and their movements? That is a brilliant question, and I'll tell you what, it takes practice. Mm -hmm. But the good news is that there's, unless, well, we're in, we're all kind of isolated at home, so it's a little harder now, right? (laughs) But generally, there's always people around you can just practice with, and you don't even have to tell them that you're practicing. Just kind of do what they do. If they scratch the back of their neck, you just wait five or ten seconds, scratch the back of your neck, just, just real gently. And, you know, the unconscious mind is picking all that up and so yeah it does take time to practice and get good at um and it's worth doing it'll pay you back time and time again tracy as a final question here where can people find you where can they find your podcast where can they learn more about one of my favorite people in this field (laughs) oh well my uh website bodylanguagetrainer.com and you'll find all about my keynote speaking videos and um, you can find me on facebook which is, oh, Fraud Busting Body Language Expert, Tracy Browns, with my whole title, my business page. And then um, my podcast is, it's called Fraud Busting, and you can find it anywhere that you get your podcast. Awesome, awesome. Well, Tracy, um, on behalf of Classic City Crime, the Baker family, and myself, thank you for your time, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now that you know more about this footage, there is another bit of information uncovered strictly from an open records request that I submitted. That report stated that three weeks after Tara Louise Baker was murdered, the report says the maintenance man tried to commit suicide at a house on Fawn Drive. It says that he was upset due to his girlfriend breaking up with him. Now, if you couple this with a report of drug usage at the time and being at the scene of the crime, as the footage shows, I will concede. I can actually see exactly why investigators are still curious about his involvement in the case. But does being involved in drugs, struggling with depression as this incident report would lead us to believe, or being at the scene of a crime make one guilty? Absolutely not. Is it worth exploring further? Well, I think it would be negligent to say no. When we come back, an interview with the brother of the aunt, the man who supposedly had Tara's laptop, tried to exchange it for drugs, and who some claim later boasted of his involvement in the case. This is one you do not want to miss. We'll be right back. Episode 14 of Classic City Crime is brought to you by our friends at the Athens Running Company, located in Five Points at the corner of Millage and Lumpkin. 
It's your local source for running, walking, and gym shoes. Their knowledgeable staff professionally fits you to a perfect pair of shoes using video gate analysis, and they stock seven different brands of shoes, as well as Garmin watches and Lululemon apparel. No appointment needed, so check them out, the Athens Running Company, today at AthensRun.com. Now, you all said it to me. The ant is a very odd character in all of this and made a little of you confused when he entered into this scene. He was a former drug dealer turned rapper who we know is said to have tried to exchange Tara's laptop for drugs. There's a news source just this week that called in claiming that his roommate received a laptop from Ant around the time of Tara's death. For weeks, I wanted to talk to someone in Ant's family to see if they knew anything about Tara's case. And it was a really hard thing to reach out to do because as you can imagine, there's a lot of hard questions here. But when I finally contacted him, he had no problem speaking and said actually that he was not surprised I reached out one bit. I wasn't really too shocked at that. Mm-hmm. At that because, I mean, I, I know my brother's uh, involvement with it because he had the laptop. But my brother, he buys laptops from from people all the time through Facebook and just different types of social media stuff. He he always would get stuff like that. He would buy it from people mm-hmm. most of the time. He would never like take it from somebody. He didn't have to at that time because he already had all the they already had all the musical utensils they needed. He was with dreaded minds. Mm-hmm. So he didn't really need to do anything like like that. Mm-hmm. But he he buy one, you know what I'm saying? So he can have his own music come to him and stuff. And I know he was looking for one back then at the time. I wanted to know who the ant was back then and what types of things he was involved in. And yes, that included asking about drugs. Well, my brother, as far as I know, he was a, he he got in a lot of trouble in our younger years, but he always had a heart of gold, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was like a, a Robin Hood, you know, as, as if to speak uh, uh, of my life. You know, I see him from here and then, he go to jail, come back. But he always show up and he always show love, send me presents and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just talk to me. He write to me from from prison and, and jail most of the time when he was there. He tell me specifically about the things and stuff that happened in, in prison and jail, and, and it kind of kept me on the straight and narrow because I was like, you know what, I don't want to be involved in nothing like that, so I shouldn't put myself in those situations. He he did stuff his brother's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. He. he witnessed him help plenty of people like with drug problems and mm-hmm. he, he helped a dude that was a klepto like he, he like a dude is just straight with steal anything he, he didn't care mm-hmm. and my brother invited him in the house to live there he rehabilitated him this guy has a job he he has a girlfriend a dog a, a house you know what i mean right it's it's like you you do for people he he always believed that doing for people is more important than doing bad. You right. know what I mean? Right, right. Because he, he, he's witnessed, he's lived through a lot of that. You know what I mean? And he's like, you know what, doing good for people is, is a lot better than just doing bad. That's how my brother was. He was um smart, intellectual. We always knew he was born with like a silver spoon in his tongue. <laughs> he could say anything and, and stuff would happen, you know. <laughs> he could make moves. He was very... 
lyrical and versatile. He he interpreted that in his music. He was, and it, and it turned him into a monster. He won the UGA talent show back to back. You know, mm. he he was awesome, man. And do you remember what he was doing around the year of two thousand and one? Well, I know what he was doing in 2000. He recently had got arrested. Mm-hmm. His friend thought it would be a good idea to pick him, pick him up in the stolen vehicle. And he got picked up in the stolen vehicle. And everybody knows what happens when you, somebody don't tell you you're in a stolen vehicle, you go to jail too. Right, right, <laughs> right. But he got out later on. And uh, 2001, he was standing, um, I want to say, over there by... Uh, the Howard Johnson, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the apartments next door, and he uh, stayed with a, a black woman. I forget her name, but that that girl had him stuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he just changed from that. Like when he was with her, he he changed totally. He wouldn't go out like he would. He mm-hmm. he sit there and chill at the house unless he was doing his music, you know what I mean? Right. Because right. he was with Dreaded Minds mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at the time. So they do performances and stuff at different venues around Athens. Mm-hmm. One of the people that I think really had some involvement with this um, was doing drugs at the time. Yeah. Um, and he specifically was into cocaine. And I didn't know if, you know, I mean, I don't mean to ask this, but I'm just, I didn't know if your brother maybe ever sold drugs and might've encountered this guy, or do you know anything about anything like that? He's sold drugs, mm-hmm. but it, he is also, like in his later years, he's also helped people get off of them. Right. Cause he, in the beginning, when he did do it, he knew it was a detriment. But just like how the government does all black people, you're a product of your environment. Right, absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Every, every black kid that lives in the hood today is a product of their environment. And it's only a selected few that have the mind enough because they're not corrupted mm. by anything to make their own moves and, and come out of the hood with just living fine. You know what I'm saying? Even right. being in the hood. Mm. But like a lot of kids don't get that. Right. A lot of kids, you know, people lead by example. People see stuff. People uh, see these guys driving the cars. How to get that? How to do that? And you start to see how they move and stuff like that. You become infatuated mm-hmm. with what you see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When in reality, the one percent that does get out is like they don't look at that stuff. They factor in what they can learn. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. But you know, so it's a lot more of them that see stuff and want it then there is ones that fathom about it, dream about it, and conquer it, and get to that level. I asked him point blank, do you think your brother had anything to do with the murder of Tara Louise Baker? And his answer was as open and honest as they come. So you definitely don't think your brother would have had anything to do with this case? No, he wouldn't. Now there's one thing I want to be sure to tell all of you about. There is saving grace for everyone. His brother says after his last prison sentence, he really did change his life to help others. He always said he wanted to do that, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We started the Wild Wolf Pack. Me and my brother, we did. We started the Wild Wolf Pack, and I, I, we both came up with the idea. I was like, we should get a, we should get a nice crew together. I said, I got some friends that can rap and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then we started doing that, and then after that, it, 
it started to become it bro made it even bigger than what it was like <laughs> he said you know we can take this even farther with that we can actually help people he go to school elementary schools and talk to little kids you know what i'm saying about like how they can make it out, out of the hood it, like you ain't gotta pay attention to what they're doing being in school is just fine they don't make you a nerd because you like school mm. you know what i'm saying like he said if i if i did things different that way I might be in a total different situation, but I still be telling y'all the same thing. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like, right. my brother was that type of person. He he helped a lot of people. I, I sat down and watched him help a lot of people. Man. Yeah, I'm talking about some of these guys. I know they they still got jobs to this day. Like they they work and they got their own place and they they're doing good and stuff like that. It's a blessing man, yeah. to have people like that in your corner mm. and. For them to have enough discipline to be on you like that about what you're doing is detrimental for your life. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, my brother, he, he's been through a lot in his life. Mm-hmm. He did drugs and stuff like that, of course. Who didn't? I mean, <laughs> this is America. Right. Even politicians, even presidents do it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, that's the past. But that's the past. Like, he got on him real bad. And... He, he flipped all of it around. He dropped cold turkey off of him and stopped it. Wow. He, he's the only dude I know that had that power. And he said, you know what? God gave me this power to do this. I'm going to try to help the next person. Mm. It might not be strong enough to do it themselves. Man, I think that says it all, don't you? My brother had a silver spoon, man. He, he knew, he knew what to say and what made sense it was it was it's total logic mm-hmm. if you think about some of the things that he say it makes so much sense mm-hmm. but that was what god blessed him with that's what why he was able to help people who had habits and and was messed up and wanted to trick people out of shit they end up going through with it you know mm-hmm. what i mean like they're like damn this, this guy been through some shit mm-hmm. i should listen Cause he's doing fine now. He's taking care of. He's got a beautiful family taking care of his kids. And mm-hmm. my brother was a smart man, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he cared about everybody. That's why his slogan was always "All Love." He always said that "All Love," cause all love to him meant all love for everybody. It don't matter who you is. It, it, my brother, he would see homeless people and and tell them. Like, look, I'm, I'm going to help you get a job. He'd do stuff like that. Mm. Now, it would be nice to talk to the aunt, of course, to hear directly from the source, but he passed away in 2017. His brother, however, did offer not only support to the Baker family, but to me, and I thought that that was so kind. On behalf of my family, they, you need, you, they need closure on that. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm-hmm. For the person, whoever you think has done it, I, I would like to know more about that topic. You know what I mean? I would, I would like to try to help you find out, you know. Uh, that's how my family is. I, I'd like to help you find out who did it. So, what do I think about this? Well, I feel truly deep down in my heart from the amount of sources who have come forward and the brother who has now spoken out that it is very, very possible the aunt could have come into contact with Tara's laptop. Let's suppose he was given the laptop in exchange for drugs. Well, we know of only two persons of interest who were using drugs at the time of Tara's death, the attorney, and now we know the maintenance man. 
Let's suppose the person who committed the crime freely gave the laptop to Ant. I have got to admit, wouldn't it seem pretty smart for a white man in 2001 to give the laptop to a drug-dealing black man to throw off the police? Well, I think it would be, especially during that time. The possibilities really are endless here, aren't they? And between us, I'm not so sure we'll ever know exactly what happened to the laptop. And yes, we've reviewed those records. But maybe, just maybe, the secret of this case doesn't lie with the laptop after all, but instead lies with the people who have yet to speak out, but who I know and the Baker family knows no more than they have said. For example, I have a friend who recently encountered a woman. They were chatting about their mutual love of true crime, and my friend graciously recommended classic city crime and mentioned we're covering the story of Tara. She said the woman's tone changed and she claimed to know something and reports her telling a story similar to this. The woman's ex-boyfriend had gotten involved in drugs and had become high on police radar. She said he would still call her, though, if he needed anything or if he were drunk or high. And one night in particular that sticks out to her, he called her and said the following, You have to get me out of Athens. I know who killed Tara Baker. The police know I know who killed Tara Baker. And it's someone from that law firm. So I've tried reaching out to this woman several times with no success, and it is downright frustrating. And pardon me for my brutal honesty here, but if I thought that I held a key that could unlock the unsolved murder of a 20-year-old woman for her family, you'd bet your you-know-what that I'd be doing anything I could do to help. Anything. Unfortunately, that source doesn't see it that way yet, but I'm going to continue to have a little bit of faith, and I hope that you'll do the same. More on this development and others that, yes, you can only imagine. Next time on Classic City Crime, I'm Cameron J. Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron J., co-produced and designed by Kyle Kazaya. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Classic City Crime, on the web at www.classiccitycrime.com, or you can always email us at classiccitycrime at gmail.com with story information or tips. Stay well, be well, we'll see you next week.